Well, good morning, everybody. It is a beautiful morning, isn't it? You, you will have to forgive me if I'm moving a little bit slow this morning. Uh, it has been, I have, my, with my powers, well, with the powers of some of you combined, over the past couple of years, I've learned from people like Ernie and Pastor Mark and Andrew and Jerry. And so I, I, he taught me something. Pastor Mark taught me one thing at least. And I have been doing construction in our house all week and like remodeling our kitchen and uh, thing. I mean, I did not do a good job, so don't, don't come critique me at all. But it's, it works. It's functional. It's all sideways, like crooked, but it works. <laughs> and I, uh, you know, some of you know, so for you, those of you who don't know me, I, uh, my name is Alan. I'm the youth pastor here, and I also am the founder and director of Found Ministries, which is the missions part of this church. And uh, so, you know, I'm, so if I'm moving a little bit slow, it's just because of all those things. And part of that, some of you who know me know that I was a, a little bit of, <laughs> this just makes me laugh so much, I was a little bit of a TikTok sensation for about a week uh, on my TikTok, <laughs> my TikTok channel. And, uh, you know, and then I started traveling, and so I wasn't doing that so much. And so I started doing YouTube videos because I just really love video, and I'm, I'm just, I'm a, I just love attention. I like people to look at me. <laughs> and so I was doing all these videos, and I kept getting the same consistent comments over and over again. And I, I didn't know if it was an insult or what it was, and they were like, you know, you really have a face for radio. And <laughs> over and over. Like, your voice, that's, that's where it's at right there. I mean, you shouldn't be in front of the camera. Please, please don't be in front of the camera anymore. And so, so I put together, I don't even know why I'm sharing this. It's just, this, is just, this has been my week. And so I put together, like, in my little YouTube room that I had, I just recorded a couple of voice. Just, I did this for the church, I, some just different voices and stuff. And I just send them to people. They didn't ask for them. I just started sending them. <laughs> and... And I was shocked because I got a response from, uh, it, most of you have no idea who this is, but Destiny Image. They do all like Bill Johnson's books and Chris Valentin's books. They publish those books. And they hired me to, to narrate a book. And so I'm, I'm narrating a book. I'm a narrator now for uh, Robert Hodgkin, if you know who that guy is. He, He's a pretty famous guy. So I'm, I'm narr- the narrator for his next book now, and I have nowhere to do it. So I've been all week, I've been building a little room that I can record in. And so my hands are all swollen and my knee hurts. And I mean, <laughs> so if I move a little bit slow, it's because of that. Oh, it's been a week. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about evangelism. And this is, this is interesting for me to preach about because I am not an evangelist by nature. I, everyone thinks that I should be because I'm a missionary and I've been all over the place, but I am actually fairly introverted in my personality. I like, I'd like to be alone. I could be alone forever and just be totally okay with that. And so, yeah, and it's, it's funny how God will call people into areas that they're not comfortable with, and it's not very fun. I do not like going out on the streets, and I don't like it. It's not fun for me. Some people it is, but, but I got asked to talk about it. So that's what we're going to share about today. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be sharing about evangelism. And this is such an interesting topic 
Because one of the first things that people come up and say is, especially with evangelism, that one thing is, that's not my calling. I'm not called to that. That makes me uncomfortable. And they usually won't say that. They usually say something really spiritual, like, I'm called to be a, a recluse. And <laughs> yeah, I'm called to Netflix and chill. You know, I'm, I'm working on my children right now. I don't have time to tell other people about Jesus. They're in bad enough shape. And so that's usually the answers, with it because most people are not okay. Like, they don't like evangelism. Very few people actually like going up to total strangers and talking to them. But there are different methods of evangelism, and that's what we're going to be sharing about. But first, um, I think it was Katie who said something the other day in one of our, our meetings. She said, um, it's only 18 weeks till Christmas. And so I thought to myself, who better? I just, that stuck in my head because I was like, oh my goodness, I got to start thinking about presents and I got, we're going to use the same tree. Like it just, it started a whole snowball situation in my mind whenever she said it. It was just a chain reaction of explosions. And so I, because I take Christmas very seriously. And so uh, I thought, you know, we need, we can bring up our first slide. I thought we should just start talking about um, the big guy, Santa. And because soon will come the time when we'll all have to go to Walmart and walk in front of that guy and feel uncomfortable whenever we don't put money in the bucket. <laughs> and just get that, that, that stare that you get when you walk by. I mean, we all know the feeling, right? We've all done it. I have actually done that, not as Santa. I could, but I have not done Santa yet. But I actually went out with the Salvation Army in front of a Walmart once, and people are mean. Like, they put trash in there. <laughs> they do all kinds of stuff. They're mean people. And so, you know, the Salvation Army... I thought I should talk about them because if anyone knows evangelism, now they've gone way off, way off course. But the Salvation Army, if you know me well at all, you know they are some of my favorite people to talk about. And they are not this. This was not, they were actually founded, we could bring up the next slide. They were fa founded by a man named uh, William Booth, this guy right here with that glorious beard. Uh, from 1829, 1912, he lived. And William Booth, he was pretty much a Sunday morning Christian for most of his life. He, and what that means is he went to church on Sundays, but he just, he sort of, he did church things. Like he, he did some Sunday school classes. He helped out in children's church. He did sort of the normal things, the baseline things that everyone should be doing in church, just basic helping out. And he thought that he was pretty awesome. And then one day, things started to change. He had these two encounters with God that blew up his whole life. In the first encounter that he had with God, he uh, dreamt that he died. And in this dream, he saw himself in his deathbed, and he was really sick, and he knew that it was his time to die. And he was excited. Because in his dream, he, these are his words, he said that he thought that he was a bright, shining light in the world. And he was going to go to heaven, he was going to see Jesus, and he was going to get his reward. He had done all the good things that you're supposed to do as a Christian. And so in the dream, he then died, and he said he could feel his soul leave his body, and then the next thing he knew, he was standing in heaven. And as he's standing in heaven, he 
said it was, it was beyond description what he saw. He said he was standing by this incredibly crystal clear river that was lined with all of these roses and there were uh, fruit trees everywhere. It was just this absolutely beautiful place that the grass itself was singing the praises to God. It was just this absolutely awesome vision that he had. And as he's standing there, he's observing all of this and he's, he's thinking, wow, I'm, I'm here, I made it. This is so exciting. And then all of a sudden, this angel appears. Now, all around him, he sees angels and archangels and seraphim and all the thims that you see in the book of Revelation. They're all floating around. And he's like, this place is amazing. But as he's standing there, this angel appears in front of him, and he said he started to have this feeling of loneliness. While he said it was a very odd feeling because he was in heaven He had made it. He was saved, but he was alone in heaven. And it was really odd. And so this angel appears, and it has this book. The the Bible talks about how all of us, if you read in the book of Revelation, every single person has a book that's being written. Everything you do is being written in a book. And whenever you go before God on Judgment Day, that book will be opened, and your whole life will be reviewed. Everything that you do. Except if you become a Christian, all of the sins get erased out of that book so this angel appears and it's got his book the book of his life and this angel opens the book and William he's thinking this is really exciting because we're going to get to see what what my life was like before God and just as the Bible promised just as Jesus did all everything that he had ever done that was either selfish or sinful or whatever had been erased the problem though was that it only left a few pages in the book that had anything in them. Because everything he had done was for himself. Other than the few little Sunday morning things that he had done to serve the church, pretty much everything else in his life had just been for him. And so all of a sudden he realized, yes, he was saved, but he hadn't done anything with his life. And so he was alone in heaven because he had never... If you've heard stories, I, I like to listen to stories of people who had, like, they, they went to heaven and they got to experience heaven and all that kind of stuff. It's really, really interesting. Not, some of it's bogus, but some of it's really interesting. And uh, most of the time, when people have really given their life to the Lord and they've really been serving, what is the thing that you usually hear? Is they get to heaven and they're greeted by all the people they impacted in their lives. And I believe that will be true. And so... When he got there, nobody was there to greet him because he had never really impacted anybody. He had never really done anything. It had just been for him. He had been a selfish Christian. And so he's standing there, and he suddenly realizes he's, he didn't, he's just there. And out in the distance, he sees this huge caravan of people. And it's Jesus followed by this huge, just massive just long line of people who are all celebrating and they're singing praises and they're so excited because they're part of Jesus' entourage. And Jesus is walking around and Jesus comes up to William and William is devastated because even though he made it, he could have done a lot better. And Jesus says, I'm going to send you back. I'm going to give you one, op- one more opportunity to join the entourage, to be part of He said, I I am going to give you an opportunity to earn a place among these people here. And so he got sent back, and that was his first one. The next time, the next, and we'll bring up, we can bring up the next slide. 
The next encounter that he had was a very, very famous, many of you have probably seen this before, a very famous vision that he had. He was riding on a carriage, because this is before automobiles were invented. He was riding on a carriage, and all of a sudden the world, he, was just, he said he was just looking out the window, and all of a sudden the world just opened up. And what he saw was this big mountain in the middle of a dark and stormy ocean. And on that, right in front of it, is this platform. And all around the platform were people drowning. And on top of the platform, there were all these people who were saved. The rock represented Jesus. These people were saved. They were fine. But most of them were just distracted. You can see they're distracted with relationships. They're singing. They're lifting weights. They're doing all these things. And they're not even paying attention to all the people that are just drowning all around them. There are a few that risked their own lives jumping into boats to try and pull them out of the water. There were some who threw out the life rafts. You can see on the long. They were throwing up the little rings to try and pull people in. But it was only a couple of people. Pretty much everyone else was only focused on their own lives. Yes, they were saved. When we talk about evangelism, we're not talking, we're not talking about your salvation. We're talking about you are saved. That's wonderful. If you know Jesus, you're saved. But there are a lot of people who are drowning out there that are not. And most of us are only thinking about ourselves. I mean, one guy is sitting there. He's fishing right in front of people who are going to hell, who are drowning. And so after he had that vision, everything in his life just completely changed. Those two things combined. And so he started, after that, the Salvation Army. And uh, I believe we, I have two slides for that. We can bring those up. Uh, so this is the Salvation Army. These are some of the most incredible people in history. They dressed up as soldiers. They had uniforms and badges and all kinds of awesome stuff. And they would go. Uh, they, they, you can see at the very top, it's kind of cut off a little bit. It says Salvation Army, Army Soldier Restroom. They would go and they would serve soldiers in the military whenever they were at war. They would be in the trenches with them, feeding them and giving them water. They would go out into the streets and they would feed the homeless and they would feed. They would they were they would march into the middle of this, these cities. And this is all in England where William Booth was founded. And he wrote a book called Darkest England and the Way Out. And what it talks about, and I'm going to share a little bit on this, uh, a little bit deeper in a minute here. But England at that time was the absolute worst place imaginable that you could live in terms of sin. It was like a Sodom and Gomorrah situation. It was so bad that in the local taverns and bars... They had step stools so that toddlers could come in and order drinks. And I mean, that, and it was totally, I mean, children were drunk on the streets. Prostitution was everywhere. It was, it was way, it was the worst thing you can imagine. There was sin absolutely everywhere. And so William Booth started out, that's how his ministry started. And the, and the church was totally dead uh, because Calvinism had completely destroyed the, move, the missions and outreach movements that were going on in the world at the time. And so the church was doing nothing, and the world was just completely obliterated by sin, and William Booth gets called into the ministry, and so he starts the Salvation Army, and they were going into the worst of the worst places. And we can show the next, the next slide. And this is another one. They would all go out in these, these trains and stuff, and they would march into these cities, and they would preach the gospel, they would, they would gather in the middle, they'd bring, 
bring these big like trumpets and they would play. They had these big bands. They loved music. They still have a lot of music. They play lots of music and they do worship in the middle of these town squares. Invite anyone to come and they would give free food. They would give out free soap. They would uh, give out clothing and they would just they would just bless people and pray for people. And they were at, there was incredible transformation that was happening. These bars started shutting down. Brothels started shutting down. All of these places started closing because of how effective the Salvation Army comes. And now I want to say one thing. We're going to talk about this. Uh, they would go into a place, and even though they were dressed like this, and they had ranks, they had captains, and all, all those rank, all the ranking systems and stuff, Whenever they, they would... They seemed like they would be aggressive, but they would actually go in and they were very warm. They, they really loved people. Their whole thing was to go in and their, their slogan was soup, soap, and salvation. Because those were the th- three things they wanted to provide for people. And they would go in and just bless and bless and bless. And they were awesome. But because they were so effective... And the bar owners couldn't afford to keep their bars open anymore. And all of the brothels, they lost all their prostitutes. And all of these people who ran these businesses that were not good for the society that they were in, they got angry. So let's move on to the next slide. And they formed the Skeleton Army, which if you, you probably never heard of these guys, thankfully. The Skeleton Army... They, just, they were the exact opposite of the Salvation Army. This was made up of all of the people who basically lost everything because of the Salvation Army. They, they, all of their, this was made up of gang leaders, of brothel owners, bar owners, all kinds of people. We'll show the next slide. And they, they had all these different flags and banners. This is a newspaper article that came out about them, which I'll see if I can read it up there. It says... On the right side, this information is intended for the columns of the seventh skeletons. They must be addressed to the other blah, 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 as the real object of this paper is to stamp out the fanaticism, and listen to this, the blasphemy of the Salvation Army, which is doing so much to bring the Christian religion into ridicule. It is hoped that our correspondents will send out all information to different parts of the country. Agencies will be, at, will be at once opened in every town invaded by the Salvation Army. And so the Skeleton Army, they were horrible. They were absolutely brutal. They would go into these places, wherever the Salvation Army showed up, the skeletons would come in and they would beat the Salvationists. They would throw dead animals, throw dead fruit at them. Next slide, please. Uh, this isn't from another uh, article about them. They, a lot of them were gang members, and they would, you can see there's a little bit of a fire in the back. It's because they would go to the tops of hills, set barrels full of tar on fire, and roll them down the hills at the Salvation Army. And they would do anything that they could to stop what the Salvation Army was doing. So, like I said, the slogan of the Salvation Army was soup, soap, and salvation. The skeleton army tried to mirror everything the Salvation Army did. So the skeletons, theirs was uh, um, oh, beef, beer, and baca, which is for tobacco. 
and that, that's what they would have on their flags. The Salvation Army, they would come well-dressed in uniforms that they kept really neat and tidy, and they would come in disgusting, filthy rags on purpose just to do an opposite. Whenever the Salvationists would be playing worship on the street, they would come in with whistles and big drums and just screaming to try and drown out the worship of the Salvationists. If you think that's bad, literally everybody was against the Salvation Army in those days. It was not just the skeletons. See, the skeletons, they were actually backed up by the government of the day. They were backed up by uh, the, the police in the area. So they could do all of these crimes against the Salvationists, and the Salvationists would be the one being arrested. Even though legally there was freedom of religion, there was all that stuff, they were not doing anything illegal. And they weren't getting in anyone's faces. They were just going to the middle of town. They got permissions where they needed permission. They were doing everything right. But the police would come, uh, would come arrest them on trumped-up charges and take them to jail and do all of these kinds of things. I think I, Is there one more slide after this? I think I have one more. No, we'll go back. We'll come to that one in a minute. So they would arrest them for all of these different, just all these different things. It was really, really, um, it, was, it was horrible. And so not only that, but the supermarkets would sell, like the Walmart of their day would sell rotten eggs. They sold rotten eggs specifically to throw at the Salvationists. And it was, it was a mess. So many of them were beaten up. And we'll go to the next slide now. I should have just left it up. Uh, it, it just got worse. This happened for decades. And they just kept coming. The Salvationists just kept on going in. And then one day... There was a police sergeant who offered 20 pounds or like $25, something like that, 20, 20 pounds to the first person to what he said, throw a hallelujah lass into the ocean. And so uh, this young woman here, this is 19-year-old Susanna Beatty, she, well, Captain Susanna Beatty, she was outside of a couple of bars telling people about Jesus as they came out. And whenever this police sergeant made this offer for this 20 pounds, a mob of 4,000 people, largely the skeleton army, came together and they started throwing fruit and rocks at Susanna until they knocked her on the ground and then they kicked her to death. And this is just one story from the Salvation Army. I mean, there are thousands of them. And these are the kinds of things that they went through, but they kept going, they kept bringing the gospel in, and the way that they did that was incredibly important. They did it with love. They did not come in shoving it down people's throats. They didn't come in being angry and, and all that kind of stuff. They came in with love, with soup, soap, and salvation. That's why the store that's being opened is so important. That's why practical things are so important. Uh, it was not long after that that parliament, they met to talk about the Salvation Army and realized they're just helping people. They're literally just going around helping people. Why are we backing the skeletons? And so they flipped everything. And parliament decided that, that there was no legal grounds for anyone to do anything to the Salvationists. And they started arresting the skeletons. And the skeleton army was obliterated. They were disbanded completely after a few years. And the Salvationists, unfortunately, they 
went downhill after William Booth died, and now they're just a bunch of Santas for the most part. Some of them are pretty awesome, but uh, it's, it's not gone the way William Booth intended it for it to go. So next slide. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And this is the amplified version, so it's a little bit longer. But it says, But you will receive power and ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses to tell people about me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. Here is the thing about the Salvation Army. They all are these awesome people. I, I wish I could go through just a couple of the stories, more stories of them, because they're incredible, the things that they went through. All the mugshots that you can find of salvationists who were arrested just for giving soup to people on the sides of the road after being beaten by the skeletons. It's just, it's incredible. But the thing about them is they were all normal people. They were all regular people, most of them with full-time jobs. Smith Wigglesworth, many of you have heard of Smith Wigglesworth. He was a full-time plumber while doing ministry with the Salvation Army. Just the difference was, and this is not a criticism, this is just a fact. In those days, after they got off of work, they didn't go Netflix and chill for six hours. They went to the Salvation Army and preached the gospel. And so they changed societies. And Smith Wigglesworth, I won't go into his story, but he... he absolutely changed the world, but he started with the Salvation Army. He ended up leaving the Salvation Army because the Salvation Army started going way off track. But anyway, they were normal people. And here is the truth. If you are a Christian, Acts chapter, let's, let's just read a little bit here. But you, this is for every single Christian, but you will receive power and ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Most Christians stop right there. They don't read anymore. But why do you get that? And you will be my witnesses. You, I'm going to make a bold statement here. You cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit and not have a call to evangelism. It is impossible. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit and reject your call to evangelism, but you do have it. Now, what that looks like varies widely, and that's what I'm going to talk about. This is, just remember that this morning is one piece of a puzzle, okay? There will be more coming up, uh, but this is just one part, so don't think of this as like a fully encapsulating thing. The, what that call looks like can vary widely depending on who the calling is for. God gave you your personality for a reason, the way that you are called into evangelism can be very different. For example, anyone, I believe this, anyone can prophesy. Any Christian. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have prophecy in you. But not everyone is called to the office of a prophet. Everyone can teach, but not everyone is called to be a teacher. And so on. Everyone can pray for the sick. Not everyone is called to a healing ministry. Uh, anyone can do signs and wonders. Not everyone is called to the signs and wonders ministry. Anyone can cast out demons, but not everyone is called to a deliverance ministry. Here's the interesting thing. All of those things that I just said, I would guess 99% of the people in this room would say that there's at least one thing on there that you've never done. And yet, every one of those things that I just mentioned are directly commanded for every Christian to do. All, every single one of them. It doesn't make you special if you've done them. 
Because every Christian is supposed to be doing them. That's literally normal Christian life. And so there's a problem if we aren't doing any of those things. And there's a problem if we aren't doing evangelism. If we're not reaching the lost. If you've never cast a demon out of someone, you're not living the fullness of what God has called you to. I know that's a weird statement to make, but it is true. So, who are the two most judgmental people in a church? Every church has them, right? I mean, we all know. Every church has them. Who are the two most judgmental people? Don't have to answer it. The two most judgmental people in churches. We are still talking. Don't worry, I'm not going on a bunny trail. This isn't my notes. (laughs) The two most judgmental people in every church. The number one most judgmental person in the church are immature prophets. Because immature prophets, they have not understood yet that there is a, that there are different personalities and there are different callings and all those different things. Because prophets are usually very black and white in personality. And they're usually sitting there like they're all going to burn. And I'm going to be laughing in heaven. They're gonna, they deserve the hell they're going to get. You know, the, young, the young immature ones, well, the old immature ones too. There are a lot of old immature prophets too. You know, they're, they're the ones who are sitting in the back. That, why do you think God calls the prophets to call judgment down because they love it they love to be able to do that that's just their personality they enjoy it and they they, you know and i make i make it very clear this is immature prophets because mature prophets they they have learned they 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 tend to be very very judgmental they they have a standard of righteousness that they want and rightfully so want everyone to live at and just people are not going to do it and so they get mad and they tend to live in this anger kind of thing uh, where they, which is why, I love this, which is why God usually has to pair prophets with pastors. Because while the prophets are like, they stumbled, let's just send them into the abyss right now. <laughs> the pastors will let someone fail like a thousand times. They're like, come on, he, he didn't mean to beat up that old lady this time. Lord, just have mercy. And so God has to pair them together so that they don't, one doesn't blow up the world and one doesn't just let everything happen. And, I mean, think about it. You look in Scripture, Isaiah and Hezekiah, Paul and Barnabas. You have that pairing over and over in Scripture on purpose. The second most judgmental person in the church is the evangelist. Now, they judge in a very different way because evangelists, they usually are not judging the character of people. They, as a matter of fact, evangelists are usually very, very forgiving. They'll take anybody. All they want is people for their army who will come out and win souls. The thing that they judge is when they see people not out there winning souls on the streets with them. If you're not surrounded by prostitutes vomiting heroin, <laughs> you have not had a good day. And that's what the evangelist looks at. They're, that's what they judge. And they'll sit in the back, bunch of lazy People not wanting to go out and tell people about Jesus. All these people going to hell. They're walking right there. And we're in here just singing. That's what the evangelists do. And like I said, they're not judging character. If you, it doesn't matter who you are. If you'll go out with them and preach the gospel, they'll, they'll take you. So the, this is the thing with evangelists. They tend to be very pushy. They tend to be very aggressive. They tend, now, they're doing it in a way that they think is loving, but the fact is they're making everyone around them uncomfortable. So I'm saying this for two reasons. One is, if you are an evangelist in this room, you need to be more self-aware, please. 
And if you're not an evangelist in this room, understand that you need to go out more. Because that is a calling. It is a calling that God, God puts passion in people. And so whenever God calls people into that, that area, it is to rally the troops, and we are the troops. It is to rally us to go. And they make you uncomfortable, which is not a bad thing. They can turn it into a bad thing if they don't handle it right, if they handle it in an immature, really pushy, aggressive way. But we need to understand that that is the voice of God, just like the voice of a prophet is that person calling us to righteousness. The voice of an evangelist is calling us, like the Salvation Army, to get off of our butts and go do something. Evangelists, they tend to develop martyr syndrome, is what I call it. This syndrome of, because they're usually out, the ones out on the streets getting yelled at and all the backlash that comes from being an evangelist, they tend to take that on themselves and then they come into church and think that nobody supports them in their ministry. And so they take on this sort of martyr, like, I'm carrying my cross for the Lord all day, every day. Because they, they kind of are, but at the same time, there isn't an under, a mutual understanding between the church and the evangelist. That there needs to be a marriage there. Evangelists, this is for everyone. If you are called to, an evangel, to be an evangelist or when you are, we are going to look in just a minute, don't worry, about exactly how to, re now I'm going to talk about one aspect of how to evangelize somebody. I'm going to talk today about how to evangelize somebody who is close to you, somebody that you love. Why, and then again, we'll have another, another Sunday where we talk about reaching people you don't know, just random people on the street. So whenever you are evangelizing somebody, it is so key this is what evangelists so often fail in, is understanding that the person that you are talking to is a human being. Because evangelists just want to drag you into heaven whether you want it or not. And they do the same thing with the people they're trying to recruit into their army. They're just like, you just need to come with me. I don't care what's going on in your life. Come on, there's souls that need to be saved. And the same thing with people on the street. You're a soul that needs to be saved. I don't care what's going on in your life. Just get into heaven. We have to understand that these are real human beings with real life, real things going on, real issues that have to be dealt with, that have to be taught. I, I, it may have been one of you who told me this. I forgive, uh, forgive me if I, it was you. Because I don't remember who told me this, but it has stuck with me for a long time, which is, maybe it was Dr. Shelley. I can't remember, but someone said, people will never listen to you. People will never hear you unless they feel like they've been heard by you. And that is, think about this. I was just in, in uh, North Carolina, and we went to something. And we were walking down, the, I can't remember what it was. We were walking down the street, and there were a bunch of Jehovah's Witnesses on, on the side of the road. And they, they're in this booth, and they start calling you over. What is your first reaction to that? You get real defensive, right? You don't like that, right? Why? Well, we know what they're telling is a lie. But also because we know at least I know, they do not care about me. I know that all they want, because I have studied and taught, and I have had lots of meetings in my home with Jehovah's Witnesses, because I want to learn what people believe and what they think about. And I know for a fact that they are not interested in me. They're all just trying to win brownie points so they can all be gods and rule over their own planet one day. 
They don't, so I have no interest in talking to them. And it's the same if you're on the streets or you're with someone you love and you're just obliterating them every single time you see them with truth, but you're doing it in such a way that shows you really don't care what's going on with them. You just want to be right and you just want to be able to say they got saved, huzzah. You're looking just for like another notch, right? I believe in numbers. I think numbers, there's a whole book called Numbers. Numbers are important. But there's a time and a place. There are evangelistic events and there are church services and places where, that are designed for if someone is coming in seeking truth, you can talk to them very openly. But whenever it's somebody that, you, that is close to you and all you're doing is just punching them in the face with the gospel every time you see them, you will not get anywhere. Because people need to know that you care about them. That is why the Salvation Army was so effective. Because they went out into the middle of the streets, but they were meeting real needs that people had, and they truly cared about what... Whenever um, Smith Wigglesworth first started, and he wanted to grow... He loved children. That was, his real heart was children his whole life. What he would do, he didn't go out and just start handing out little children's tracts to kids on the streets. He took a donkey, and he would give them free rides, and then ride them right into Sunday school. <laughs> because he was meeting a need that the children had. And then once you do that, you can then meet the spiritual needs. I'm just flying through my, my things here. Whenever I lived in Turkey, people tend to have, I call it the, the missionary fantasy. And they think that they know what missions is like. For those of you who don't know me, I lived overseas from the time I was 16 until I was 30, something like that. So the, I lived overseas more than I lived in the States. Like I'm, fair, I'm just now feeling to start like I kind of understand what it's like to be here in the States. And it's funny because people have this, they, they envision missionaries going out all the time and we're just like roaming the alleyways looking for naked tribal people to save and we're just eating bugs and bats and stuff like that and bringing covid back with us which i did actually i i brought covid from africa and and i didn't know it and so you know that's what they think that we're doing that we're just eating weird things and which we do i yeah i ate a lizard face and we're eating all kinds of weird things and doing all kinds of crazy stuff and we do do some of those things but the truth is the majority of time on the mission field is not spent just roaming the streets. When I lived in Turkey, we actually only went out to like evangelize two or three times a year while we were there. Largely because it was, it was a Muslim country and they would just kill you. But it, because, it was because there are methods of reaching different people and different personality types, and different, there's, there's different ways to go about it. And so what we did, this is, people often wonder why ministers tend to gain so much weight. Like we all look like Minecraft characters, you know? <laughs> the reason why is because the bulk of ministry is spent in people's houses eating, like all day, every day. There isn't much time for exercise. <laughs> and so Turkey, the majority of our time would be every morning. We would wake up, usually five or six in the morning, we would pray as a team for two hours. And then we would go out and we would just go to people's houses and just eat all day. And Turkish food is the best food in the world. 
It really is. They, they have these big brick, it's like a, it looks like a little cave, a stone cave. And they take bread every morning at like four in the morning. They take these big balls of dough and slap them to the ceiling. And they cook out from the ceiling. And then they bring them and they sell them fresh every morning for like a quarter. And man, we would eat loaves of those things. And they, you never get sick of them. And we would go into these people's houses all day. We would just drink tea and eat bread all day long for hours and hours and hours. Just building relationships with people because that is what it's all about. That is what evangelism is. It is building relationships with people. And then the most amazing things would happen as we would be with these people. They would have visions. They would have dreams. And then they would just show up at our door. Sometimes total strangers. Sometimes people we knew. And they would say, I had this dream. And this guy named Jesus showed up. And he said that I'm supposed to come to this address. And that you're going to tell me the truth about life. And then we would pull out the tea and the bread and we would sit down for hours and we would talk about Jesus. And we reached, I mean, thousands of people, thousands of people. And all we did, we just did what Paul did. Read the last line of the book of Acts. What does it say? Paul spent, he rented his own apartment and he told, he, he, all, he never left his house because he was under house arrest. He would preach the gospel to anyone who would, come by, who would come listen to him. They would come to his house. He would make them a meal, and he would just talk about Jesus with them. That's what he did. It doesn't have to be this big, crazy thing. So when I first went to Panama, and we're, we're coming to a close here in a few minutes. When I first went to Panama, I met my brother-in-law, who is to this day one of my closest friends ever. And this is Carmi's younger brother. He looks older, but he's, he's younger. And when I met him, he was still in high school. Like, this is how long ago this was. I mean, I was 20, and he was still in high school because we got married real young. She had just turned 20. I turned 21 like a week, a couple, no, a couple months before. And I met him, and he was, they, he was not a Christian at all. He grew up in a Christian home, and he was an anti-Christian. <laughs> like, like this guy, when he was young, he sat down with his parents and said, I, I will never go to church again. I don't want anything to do with what, what you guys are, are. I don't want what you're selling. As a young kid, and he never went to church again. And when I met him, he was like the most worldly guy ever, and I loved him. Like, I, I, there's something about him. There, he would come home from high school. He'd come home from school. I live right next to them, and I was taking Spanish classes at their house. Carmi and her mom were teaching me. So I would see him after school every day. And he, always, he would always try to get under my skin. He just loves to try and, you know, because I'm a missionary and it makes people awkward and uncomfortable, he'd always try and find ways to get at me. And he came in. He would come in with his English homework. And try and get me to do his. He started asking me questions, trying to get me to help him cheat. He'd be like, hey, Alan, what, is, what does this mean? I always try, and I would always get on to him about it. And we became fast friends. Like, we really connected. Because there's something about guys like him who he was always getting in fights. He was always getting in fights. I mean, that guy, he was such a wild man. And we got along so well because there's something about people like that. They're so sincere and in my life, just because my whole life is ministry, I have, 
and this is no offense to any of you, but I have very few sincere conversations with people because people are just not sincere with me. People feel like they need to be spiritual and never show anything that they're going through. Well, they either go one of two ways. They either only tell me all of their problems or they're only ever super spiritual all the time. So I have very few relationships that are just sincere and they're just real. And this guy did not care that I was anything. He didn't care that I was a gringo. He didn't care that I was a missionary. He just was who, we, who he was, and I could take it or leave it. And I love that about people. And so I started hanging out with him, and we would go fishing together because we both like to fish, and we would fish. We would go out onto the ocean and stand in the waves all night long, just talking. We never caught anything because we're terrible fishermen. And we would just stand there in the waves, just, I think I got a nibble, buddy. Nope, didn't. <laughs> just all night for hours. And we would just talk and hang out for like over a year. And he, here's the thing. Over the course of, I want to say at least a year, we hung out pretty much every day. And not one time did I ever bring up, hey, you should become a Christian. Never, not once. The reason why in every situation is different the reason why was because he had grown up in a Christian home and he had on his own rejected it on purpose. And so my way to reach him was not to come preach the gospel to him. And evangelists, people who are called to evangelism, don't make that your, it is your goal, but don't make that your, your what's the word, like, yeah, like don't, don't make it like your, uh, you know, that, under, that underlying thing that you're only there to try to get them saved. Yes, thank you. Don't make them a project. These are real human beings. And I actually genuinely got along with my brother-in-law. And I was not there because people can sense that. If they're just a project, they can sense it. And so I was just hanging out with him. I would go over and just beat him in Mario Kart over and over again. And we'd play all the uh, Golden Sun, like all these old games we would play together all the time and talk about them. We just hung out. And then what happened, a year later, he started asking questions. I never brought it up. We'd be out fishing again. And he started asking questions. And they were the usual, usually the first questions that you get, which is, why do bad things happen to good people? If God is real and you can hear him, why doesn't he give you the lottery numbers? Uh, all, all this stuff, what am I thinking right now? Like all of the things that, that they ask. They're, they're the same things over and over again. You know, why did grandma die even though I prayed for her not to? And all the things that happen because <clears throat> they don't understand. And so uh, we just started having these conversations. And it took another year of just hanging out. Remember, he was not my project. This was a real relationship where we were just hanging out. Probably two years went by and then he hit a hard, pot, a hard spot in his life, which we all do. And he got to this hard patch and he came to me because we had been genuine friends for like two years. He came to me and we had a real, true conversation about God and about real life. And not just through me, it was through other people as well. But he ended up giving his life to Jesus. It took about two years. He gave his life to Jesus and he's still a pretty wild guy, just he was wild in a more Jesus-y way. <laughs> so, and, and I, you know what? 
the thing is, is I learned early on, and I, I urge all of you in here, and you guys are really good about this. Some churches are not, but here you guys are really good about this, about not using Christianese all the time. That's okay when you're in church. It's okay. But, but if my brother-in-law was like, hey, Alan, we should do whatever, because he was always trying to see if I was real, you know, like if I really was who I said I was, and so he'd always be like, hey, you know, nobody will know. And I'd, he'd be like, you know, I won't tell anyone. And, you know, we're bros, man. And I'd always, you know, I didn't say, oh, dear brother, tis not the will of thine father. I, I mean, you don't talk like that. Come on. Speak at him in tongues, in his face. Get away from me, devil. Yeah, you don't do that stuff. I'd say, don't be an idiot, man. <laughs> You're talking like a normal human being. Don't be such an idiot. You're going to end up face down, floating down a river if you do that. And I'm not going to come find you because I'm busy. You know, you don't do, you just talk like a normal person. Be a normal human, please, for the love of all good things. Talk like normal people. It's okay to talk weird here in church because we all understand our languages. We understand that language. But out there with normal people, talk like a normal human. Show interest in normal human things. And so I was a normal human with him. And I, and I am with everybody. I've, I've dropped the Christianese thing a long time ago because I think it's dumb. <laughs> it's not how Jesus talked. It only, sound, they, it only sounds like that's how we talk because we read the stinking King James Version of the Bible and they've, you know, they used a lot of flower language, which, which is ironic because the King James language was the common tongue in their day. But it's so much older now that we think it sounds fancy, but it was actually like the regular guy talk. So, he ends up getting saved, and not long after that, he follows Carmi and I to Costa Rica to become a missionary. He became a missionary, he went through training with us there, and then he married a missionary girl, and was a missionary for a few years. Now, he moved to North Carolina, and they're awesome, I mean, we, we see them all the time, we love them. But, when I, I share that because, and we're wrapping up here, whenever you're reaching somebody that you love... Be a normal person, okay? Some of you, and I, I'm, I always wanted to say this, put on your steel-toed boots, guys. Because <laughs> here's the thing. If you are overly aggressive with the people that you love with the gospel, if you, are, if you cannot have a normal conversation with them without super-spiritualizing everything, look at the fruit of your own life. If you are the only Christian... If, especially if this is like children or children or grandchildren, if it's different if they're your siblings, especially if they're older, because it's different. But if everyone around you hates God and hates you, you're doing something wrong. You're not doing it right. Because they don't think that you care about them. You got to really look at the relational side of things and really move in terms of that relationship. Yes. Hundred percent. Yes. Thank you. Exactly. The, the whole thing. Be be. What is it? Um, be in the world, but be not of it. Too many Christians. They think that that means. Oh, then we're gonna go. That means we just do everything the world does. No. I very clearly walked with the Lord, 
And that was what draw him, that's what was what drew him to come to the Lord, was because he saw this is real. I wasn't putting on an act, I wasn't playing, I wasn't, you know, acting spiritual with him and around Carmi, and then all of a sudden, whenever it was just him and I out, and he wanted to buy a 12-pack and get drunk, and I wasn't like, all right, just don't tell anybody. Didn't do that. I said, dude, you know I don't do that. You can drink all you want. I don't care. I'll fish with you still, but I'm not going to drink. You know, it's, you don't have to be mean about it or anything. We just be, be normal. But you have to draw a line in the sand. Because if you do not do that, they will not respect the gospel, and you will only bring shame on the name of Jesus. I've, I've seen what I just mentioned a million times uh, the, about talking about the people around you on the mission field. I, I was a youth pastor. It's so funny. I never set out to be a youth pastor, but somehow I keep ending up being one no matter what I do. I, I went, when I was in Turkey... That's what they assigned me to. I was, the, my, I was the youth pastor and college student pastor. I was the youth pastor for all of the kids of the missionaries. And it was probably about 20 kids. They were all missionary kids. And they would come to youth group. And I learned this. This is why I believe so strongly in the fact that you need to be a human being and with your family. You need to be a human being. Because... These missionary kids, they had all of these missionary parents who had to always act super spiritual, and they all hated God, and they hated their parents. I, the majority of them, and I still be, keep in contact with a lot of them. Some of them I talk to at least once a week. They will not even speak to their parents anymore because their parents were, they saw them as complete hypocrites because they would, in the mission field especially, they would spend so much time with other people and totally neglect their own family. And then whenever their kids started acting out, what was the first thing they did? That's not how Jesus would act. Instead of saying, hey, Scott, let's sit down and talk. What's going on? Hey, let's go. Here's the thing, parents. Go watch a movie with them that you don't want to watch. There's a lot of parents who won't do that. I don't want to watch that. Go play a game with them. I play Roblox, guys. I play Roblox with my children. I think this is the most childish, the dumbest game in the world. But I play it, and I'm a little wizard, and I run around, and I blow up buildings. Because that's, that's, how, you, that's how you, and you know what? I'm not, like, sending Bible verses through Roblox to my kids either. I'm not doing that. But my kids love Jesus because I have real, legitimate relationships with them. And that is the key to evangelism. We're going to talk more um, in the coming week or so about just walking up to a total stranger because with the Salvation Army, and I'm tying this all in together, the Salvation Army, was all, they, they caused persecution. They caused explosive changes in society, and they were hated by a lot of people. But they were in the end successful in bringing people to the gospel because they didn't come in from this super spiritual point of view. They came in from meeting basic human needs. They met those needs. And one last point, it's very, very interesting. If you look at the people who are persecuting Christians, even today, because every day there are a couple hundred Christians being killed for their faith, today, right now, all over the world, if you look at the people who persecute Christians, if the normal, like authentic Christians, even in Scripture, 
it is very rarely the normal average person. Very rarely. It is almost always religious leaders and politicians. Because if you are mature in walking with the Lord and you understand that humans are humans and you need to talk to them as another human to a human, they're fine with what you believe because they know that you care about them. They're okay with that. It's the religious leaders and the politicians who get jealous and start to persecute. Or in the case of the Salvation Army, they were uh, uh, leaders in society of the bars and the brothels and all that kind of stuff. Because the average person will go to whoever cares for them. Because that's what we're, we all have a desire and need for true intimate relationships. And so if you give that sincerely, people will respond to you. And you will win souls. It really is that easy. It doesn't have to be these big things. So uh, we're going to continue with this. I won't be here next week. I'm preaching at Brenda Liberatore's church next week, but uh, we will continue with this. So I wanted to just encourage you this morning with this. And I, I know evangelism is a topic that can make people kind of uncomfortable, but I wanted to kind of demystify a little bit of it just to let you know, like, we can reach people without being weird. We can, we can reach people just, you know, don't worry, I am done. I know, I know, but I do because it's right in front of me. <laughs> Acting like a crazy person does not let you stand in the presence of kings. It doesn't. As a matter of fact, that's what David did to get himself kicked out of the presence of a king. Daniel was the steward, the right-hand man of multiple of the most powerful emperors in human history. He did not get there by being weird. He stood by his values and his morals, and they respected him because they knew that he cared about them and that he was real in who he was. All right, Lord Jesus, we honor you this morning, and we thank you that when you were on earth, you were the ultimate example, that you were human. You came 100% as a human being, and for some reason we always feel like we need to try and become more of like a spirit being even though you became more human. You wore sandals and had dirty, stinky feet like the rest of us. And you had muscles that ached and you, had all, you got hungry and all of those things that we have, that we face, you did, not soup, you did not make yourself more spiritual. You made yourself more human. And so I ask you, Lord, to help us become more human in a godly way to be able to share on a human level with other people, just like you did. You talked about fish and bread, things that every person could, could relate to. Help us to speak in relatable ways to people. Because if we are unrelatable, we will never have any fruit. Help us be relatable, Lord. We bless you and we thank you. And I just bless everyone in this room. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from Dubois Light and Life Church. We hope you're blessed by it. To hear more messages or get more information about Light and Life Church, please visit DuboisFMC.org or check us out on Facebook.